0: This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday, 10 to 2, on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app.
1: Real quick, let's get to the hot question of the day. Special Counsel Robert Mueller says his work is done. He said that today at a news conference. Now he says it's up to the U.S. Congress to deal with President Donald Trump. So the question is, should Trump be impeached Would you say, yes, he is unfit for office, get him out of there, it's time to impeach this guy? Or would you say, no, let the voters of America decide next year? They got an election coming up in 2020, they can decide for themselves if they want to get rid of the guy, right? So no impeachment. Here's how you vote on this today. Go to at CKNW on Twitter. You will find the hot question of the day there. Make sure you vote on this today. Give me a follow while you are there, please, at Mike Smith News, S-M-Y-T-H. Mike Smith News on Twitter. I'll retweet that hot question of the day. You can vote on it there too. We will bring you the results of that throughout the show. Also, call me on the buzz line on that one too. Do you think Trump should be impeached? 604-331 Buzz is the number. 604 331 28 Nine nine. Let's talk a little BC politics right now. It's been about two years since the last election. You got an NDP government, minority government in power, uh continuing to tick along here. Brand new poll out this morning. Some good news in here for Premier John Horgan. Let's check in with pollster Mario Canseco from Research Co. hi Mario. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for coming
2: on. What'd you find out? Well, the main thing is that the level of support for the NDP remains stable. There are 39% among decided voters. This is very similar to the result that they got back in 2017. The Liberals are down to 30%, which is not good news. And I think this is really connected to a lot of voters who are looking at the BC conservatives as an option. Now, that being said, we may be asking people about the B.C. conservatives without any knowledge of whether they'll be able to run candidates in every single riding. So that's something that we'll have to track in the next couple of years. And do the B.C. conservatives, they got a leader now, I think. They do. Yeah. Well, there's 41% of B.C. <laughs> residents who do not know who Trevor Bolin is. So there's also yeah, that's a lot of work right. to be I mean, done he's,
1: there. He's the new leader. You know, I mean, this is like the fringe party. But you know what? That party has got a long history in British Columbia. There used to be conservative governments here in this province once upon a time. And look at what the conservatives are doing federally. I've often wondered what would happen in B.C. politics if you got a leader that came along and took over that conservative party as a brand and started making it work. You see some signs of life there for them in this poll, right? There
2: is. I think, you know, one of the issues here is uh, there's definitely people who are looking at other options. Uh, there's a, a sense of dissatisfaction with the B.C. liberals, partly connected with all the press that we've seen recently related to the role in government, and also a little bit of dissatisfaction with Andrew Wilkinson as leader. So I think you have a lot wow. of people who might be more of a center-right mindset thinking, well, if everything lines up correctly, if I have a B.C. conservative candidate in my riding, if we have a B.C. conservative leader who we can get behind, they would get my vote.
1: Okay, the Liberals in second place at 30%. Mario, where, do, where does that stand historically for the Liberal support?
2: It's not a bad situation. I think what we see here is probably a return to the numbers that they used to get in the mid-90s. Uh, we've had a situation where there's always a drop for the governing parties when the summer comes along. I think we saw it with Gordon Campbell, particularly after the HST came along, and to a lesser extent in the final stages of the Christie Clark era. Uh, But this is, uh, it's a tough situation to be in because we haven't really seen the destruction of the economy that probably would have helped the Liberals talk a little bit more about the NDP's management. Uh, We continue to have this uh, AAA credit rating, unemployment is low, so there's not a lot of uh, opportunity for the Liberals to complain about what the NDP has done when it comes to finances.
1: Well, they got, Liberals got about, what, 40% of the popular vote in the last election, so they're down
2: like 10 points? Yes, they're down 10 points from the last results. So wow. most of those votes are going to the NDP, which is quite interesting. I think what we see here is a little bit of a retention rate problem for the uh, liberals. You want to hold on to almost all of the votes that you had in the last election, especially if it's an election that only happened two years ago. And yeah. we see more than 80 percent of people who voted for the Greens and the NDP saying, I'm sticking with the party, they're doing things right but it's yeah. only 76% for the Liberals. Now, mind you, they have a different leader. Things are a little bit more complex at this stage. Uh, but it's a couple of issues. One of them is BC Liberal voters looking at the NDP as an option they can support, but also the flirtation with the idea of the BC Conservatives mounting a BC-wide challenge in 2021.
1: Okay, so talking to research co-pollster Mario Canseco about this interesting new poll, the, the BC Green Party in third place traditional spot for them 21 percent not bad mario 21
2: percent is great i mean they yeah. had the best results in their history in the last election at 17 percent. this means that uh, one in five decided voters are saying i am going with the greens uh they've been riding the wave partly because of the success uh that the federal green party had in the Nanaimo by election at the federal level So that definitely helps. Uh, But this really places them in an interesting conundrum. Do you run a BC-wide campaign, or do you try to focus on specific writings in the hopes to add some more seats to the three that you already have? So it's going to be an interesting challenge for them to see if they want to focus on specific areas where they would do better instead of running candidates everywhere.
1: Okay, this is got to be a great poll great news for the NDP and John Horgan at 39% with a nine point lead in this poll I mean that's you couldn't get better for really a government two years into its mandate when sometimes the bloom is coming off the rose and, and the honeymoon is over but this government just continues to tick along what do you think Horgan's doing right here
2: Well, I think what's working is uh, there hasn't really been anything that has been broken. I think there was an expectation, particularly from the center-right voters, that the economy would tank, that the situation would be different, and, you know, we see a lot of people who are happy with John Horgan's performance. His rating is at 51 percent. There's 34 percent who disapprove of him. But what is key here for me is to look at the way people who voted for the B.C. liberals in the last election feel about john Horgan. there's 31 percent who approve of the way he has done things this might seem like a small number but it's three out of ten voters who say yes i didn't vote for the ndp but i think there are certain things that the premier has done correctly and yeah. this is the kind of voter that can move from dc Liberals to the dc ndp if the situation continues over the next couple of years
1: mario very interesting numbers today thank you for coming on
2: my
1: pleasure, Mike. Anytime. That's Mario Canseco, pollster with Research Co. on that new opinion poll out on BC Politics right now. Let's go south of the border now and talk about the comments made this morning by special counsel Robert Mueller on the job for two years here looking into Russian interference in the last presidential election there. This is a man of few words. He has not said a single word publicly. Uh, since this whole thing began until today, when he gave a 10 minute statement, he announced he's resigning from the Department of Justice because he's out of here. His work is done. He said that the case is officially closed. Now, he summarized his report, which was released earlier. He said his investigation did find evidence of Russian tampering in the election But then he talked about the one that was top of mind for a lot of people, U.S. President Donald Trump, and why there was no recommendation for any charges
3: against Trump for obstruction of justice. Have a listen to Mueller. The first volume of the report details numerous efforts emanating from Russia to influence the election. This volume includes a discussion of the Trump campaign's response to this activity, as well as our conclusion that there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy. And in the second volume, the report describes the results and analysis of our obstruction of justice investigation involving the president. The order appointing me special counsel authorized us to investigate actions that could obstruct the investigation. and We conducted that investigation and we kept the Office of the Acting Attorney General apprised of the progress of our work. And as set forth in the report after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. All right. That's, uh,
1: special counsel Robert Mueller. Let's go south of the border now to Washington. Reggie Cicchini, the global news Washington bureau chief down there. Hi, Reggie. Hello. Thanks for taking time on a busy day. W- what are your thoughts? What are the highlights, the take, highlight takeaways here for you in this, uh, co- these comments by Mueller today?
4: Well, I mean, when we're talking about the takeaway of these things, there are two very different parts of this report. And the one that everyone is focused on right now is this kind of obstruction talk and how this is going to kind of impact Donald Trump going forward as we head into the election. But, you know, we'd be remiss to not talk about the simple gravity of the uh, first part of this report, which was the uh, Russia interference, which is the reason that uh, Robert Mueller was brought in in the first place, was to kind of look at what actually happened leading up to the 2016 election in the days up to and leading afterwards. And it is an important conversation to have that Russia did interfere, they did uh, have evidence of that, and there is evidence that that could be taking place again. So it's one thing to kind of, you know, just kind of talk about it and and then look past it, but it is an important part. The second part, when we're talking about the actions that uh, that the president is said to have taken to interfere and obstruct with the ongoing investigation is big, and it's going to have political ramifications going forward. There are a number of Democrats that are already starting to cry foul, saying it's time to impeach. And just within the last couple of seconds, House uh, Judiciary Chairman uh, Jerry Nadler, who's holding a news conference right now, uh, was simply asked about the impeachment question, and he said all options are on the table. So this is going wow. to be a big kind of uh, flame for for, uh, for the Democrats to kind of uh, turn into this gigantic fire going forward as the Republicans try to dance around this.
1: Okay, there's, there appeared to be a lot of evidence of potential obstruction of justice in this case, Reggie, but the special counsel making it clear there that uh... you can't charge a sitting president that he said that would be unconstitutional and also unfair can you expand a bit on his points there
4: well, the unconstitutional part is a little bit up in the air right now because, at the end of the day, the Supreme Court has never really made a decision on whether or not you can indict a sitting president. What it simply is is long-standing policy inside the Department of Justice, inside an, a, a secondary department called the Office of Legal Counsel. They say that you simply can't go after and charge a sitting president because it would interfere with their day-to-day abilities to effectively govern the country. That said, right. uh, there are a number of things that can be left outside of the criminal justice system, which which is what Robert Mueller said, that would punt the football in towards the hands of those elected members on Capitol Hill, which would then take the uh, criminal charging ability away from the Justice Department and into the hands of Congress, which is where we get into these impeachment conversations. So Robert Mueller's hands were effectively tied the moment that he started up this investigation, knowing he wouldn't be able to make some kind of criminal outcome from this, which is why there was so many people crying foul, saying Robert Mueller didn't do the job.
1: Okay, speaking to Reggie Cicchini in Washington is the Global News uh, Bureau down there. Reggie, one of the quotes from Mueller, the, jumping out for a lot of people here, and we just heard, we just played the played the key clip, I think, where he said that if we had confidence that Trump clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. That if he had been absolutely clear and confident that Trump was squeaky clean on this, he would have made that clear in his report, and he didn't do that. Now, how are we supposed to interpret that? If, if he's saying he would have said so if Trump did not commit a crime, do we got to interpret that maybe he, maybe he thinks Trump did commit a crime? I mean, we're trying to put together pieces of a puzzle here, what he says sometimes.
4: Yes. And there's a lot of those pieces that are going to be forever missing because we're not going to yeah. hear from Robert Mueller anymore on this report. But basically what he's saying is that the evidence did suggest that there could have been a potential crime. But because he's not able to make any kind of uh, uh, legal argument that would end it with some kind of criminal charge, he has yeah. to leave that open ended. So he had the evidence there. There was potential evidence of it, but he wasn't able to make that that uh, that final comment, which is why the attorney general then said, well, this will be my decision then to make a, a judgment that we are are not going to process this any further, and that we will say that there was no no grounds for any obstruction charge. So you kind of have the Department of Justice saying one thing, who is partisan, Uh, the non-partisan appointed special counsel saying another thing, the president saying a third thing, which is why it leaves it a little more confusing than it actually was when we first saw the report.
1: All right, where does it go from here now? I think clearly Mueller was saying that his work is done, he's out of here. It now kicks over to Congress, right? And whether... They go down the impeachment road. Some people have argued that these reports from Mueller are kind of a road map to impeach Trump. Is that what's next?
4: It is potentially what's next. There is also a possibility that despite the fact that Robert Mueller says he's going to be finished and is going back to civilian life, that he could be subpoenaed by the Judiciary Committee to come and speak. He said that if that happens, he'll only talk about what's already in the report. He'll basically just reiterate it. That's one possibility right now. The second possibility is that that growing chorus of voices in the far left of the Democratic Party say, let's kickstart some impeachment inquiries or impeachment hearings. There are a number of potential candidates uh, running for, or rather candidates for the Democratic uh, presidential nominees that are already saying it's time to open up impeachment hearings. But the big roadblock in all of this is the House Speaker. Nancy Pelosi is trying very hard to uh, keep any of that impeachment talk off the table. She put a statement mm. out today saying, basically, we need to continue legislating, we need to continue investigating, but she chose to not use the word impeachment because she's trying to say that that could fracture a party, it could do damage to them going forward as we head into the election next year. And she's really trying to say, look, walk, chew gum at the same time. Do your legislating, do your investigating, make life difficult for Donald Trump, but try to avoid the impeachment word. But it's going to be hard with everybody nipping at
1: her heels. Okay, I don't think they can impeach this guy at the end of the day because you require two thirds of the Senate to uh, confirm an impeachment. And that's just not going to happen when the Republicans have got 51 seats in the Senate. It's just it's just not there. Do you agree? I mean, I don't I don't see how they get Trump on impeachment, but that doesn't mean they couldn't start impeachment proceedings against him.
4: Yeah, that's right. This would fail flat in the Senate. There's just simply yeah. not enough Republicans in the Senate to carry this forward and, and bring it to an ultimate so what uh, would trial. So
1: what would be the point of doing it then? If, if it's well, not- basically,
4: it could drum up support inside the de- Democratic base by saying, look, we were able to impeach the president, but we were also able to carry out legislation going forward. We were able to put uh, an immigration uh, bill forward. We were able to put infrastructure bills on the desk of the president. Whether or not he signs them is one thing, but they could say we are able to govern in what our role is and we're also able to provide a check balance inside the White House, which is what our mandated and constitutional role is. So if they decide to go down an impeachment path and they're able to put a focus on the electorate and on the president and on their simple day to day duties in Washington, that could be what drums up enough support to maybe not get a Democratic president voted, but show Democrats that maybe it's their turn to take over the Senate as well, which could Mm. then pose problems getting kind of majorities on both sides if Donald Trump is elected again.
1: Just lastly, Reggie, I think it was very interesting what you just said there about Nancy Pelosi and how she's trying to kind of tamp down a little bit of this impeachment talk. What, what do you think is in her mind? You think, do you, does she believe that if the Democrats decide to go for impeachment, it could backfire potentially on the Democrats?
4: It could backfire. I mean, look, when all of this happened, when Bill Clinton was was president, and impeachment proceedings all started up, a lot of Republicans lost their seats, and Democrats made big gains on both sides. So there is a fear that Democratic uh, uh, going after the president uh, with an impeachment hearing could potentially cause them to lose seats going forward is one thing. But uh, Nancy Pelosi is also kind of playing mother hen, where she's trying to look out for this kind of new and young and 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 very kind of like socially uh, socially democratic uh, wave of Democrats that are brand new, and she's trying. Trying to protect them knowing that they're all up for election every two years she kind of wants this more diverse group to stick around and not kind of jump into things too quickly so nancy pelosi she said that she's going to let things play out but she's been around the block a lot of times she's been in congress okay. for a good number of years she knows what she's doing
1: reggie thanks for coming on on a busy day Thank you. I appreciate it. Reggie Cicchini is the Global News Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C., with the latest on Robert Mueller's comments today. Your cell phone continuing to be in the news today. You heard our coverage earlier of the B.C. government announcing that new initiative, a online questionnaire about your cell phone bill and whether the government can bring in some provincial laws around transparency and fairness when it comes to your mobile phone plan now let's talk about uh, your phone possibly stealing your personal data is it an iphone or a spy phone new reports out now about how new apps becoming more and more popular on your phone actually collecting data without the user's knowledge this uh, comes from a report from the washington post newspaper they took an iphone hooked it up to a monitoring software, discovered that more than uh, 5,400 app trackers were sending data from the device to third parties. These apps often are busiest at night when the uh, cell phone owner is asleep, and that's when the smartphone is often taking that personal data, transmitting it, to third parties let's talk about this now with mike agarbo host of get connected and the app show we reached him in china today hi mike
5: hi how are you doing
1: i'm great mike thanks for taking the time what do you think about this report about this uh, the iphone is it an iphone or a spy phone your thoughts
5: Well, this has been happening for a while, there's no question. And, you know, the data is everything from uh, your uh, location uh, to things like your contacts and your emails. Uh, Not only limited to uh, iPhones, but also Android phones as well. Uh, Something I came across uh, a while ago because uh, I was wondering where all my data was going as well. So it's not only the uh, information they should be concerned about, it's how much data is being eaten up on your data plan uh, as well. Uh, And uh, this is something happening uh, through the location tracking and the app background refresh uh, that uh, uh, is featured on the iPhone uh, and also uh, phones uh, that are using the Android operating system.
1: Mike, I think you raise an excellent point about data charges. This report from the Washington Post in this particular case study they did with an iPhone found that the amount of data that was being collected and shared with these companies from these apps amounted to one and a half gigs. So for some people, that's like half your, a lot of people, that's like half your monthly data allotment. So is the problem here that maybe you might have some apps on your phone that is, that's uh, eating up your data charges without you even knowing it?
5: Oh there's no question. Uh, I was trying to figure out where like one gig of my data was going every single month because it just wasn't making any sense to me. so for the listeners out there, you know you wanna go into your privacy settings uh uh on your iPhone for example, and uh look at the uh location tracking. you can actually set that for every single app you know for apps where you don't think it needs to know your location, shut that completely off. Uh, You know, things like flashlight apps and that, they don't need to know where you're located. Shut it off. Uh, And for other ones where you think they probably do need to know where you're located, uh, you know, mapping apps, GPS and stuff like that, just have it turned on uh, when the uh, app is being used, not always on. That's going to limit the amount of data that uh, those apps are basically sending out. Uh, Also the same for the app uh, refresh uh, option uh, as well. Uh, You know, if you don't want that happening all the time, you can shut that off, uh, too, because that's another way for the data to slip out.
1: Okay. Speaking to Mike Agarbo, host of Get Connected. Mike, do you think people should do a purge on their apps? Maybe we got too many of these apps on our phone. We should just get rid of some of them.
5: Well, that's the thing. I think if you find with most people, you're probably not using more than uh, uh, 10 apps, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So, um, you know, if you're not using that app, I I think that makes total sense to delete it. You know, you can always reload it very easily uh, in the future if you uh, decide you uh, need to to light it up uh, again. So, uh, you know, I look at uh, my screen every so often, and I literally have dozens and dozens of apps. I'm scrolling forever uh, through the different pages of them. So uh, I do a purge every couple of months uh, just to kind of get it down. And uh, that uh, makes a dramatic difference. And uh, again, go into your privacy settings, check that location uh, tracking, because you will find it makes a huge difference uh, on the amount of uh, data that uh, the, the phone is using. And of course, it's also going to limit the amount of uh, uh, data that uh, other parties uh, are getting uh, as well. Also, check out uh, the limit ad tracking uh, as well, because that uh, uh, will help uh, you know for the amount of personal information going out.
1: Hey, Mike, we've been talking earlier on the show today about a news conference by the BC government here today announcing a new online survey as they try to develop some new policies around cell phone plans. Uh, the provincial government saying here they'd like to have more transparency and fairness on your cell phone bill. I mean, this is largely federal jurisdiction. They've, they're limited in what they can wade into here, but the BC government saying that we do have provincial jurisdiction over consumer protection and they want to protect consumers on, uh, cell phone charges that maybe they think are unfair you must hear about this all the time from people who, who uh, get charged uh, surprise charges on their cell phone bills
5: yeah it is a problem you know when i first heard uh, you know this uh uh this plan from the ndp government this was months and months ago uh i was a little surprised i mean i'm, I'm not against it but uh, like you were saying that uh, is more for uh, federal uh jurisdiction right. so I, I don't know how much headway they'll make there but uh, i think that's a it's a, a good thing to look at uh, it, it really comes down to you know all the data and stuff uh, as well it 's so easy for them to overcharge you on those uh, things, and you don 't always know that uh, it 's happening. I, I did a top up uh, on uh, on my phone because I ran out of data one month. Uh, I needed an extra gig, uh, and I didn't realize that uh, you know I thought it was just a monthly thing uh, for the one month, but it just kept charging me month after month. It wasn't very clear, uh, you know, when it came to that. So uh, you know, having more transparency on stuff like that, I think, could make uh, a huge difference to consumers and help them save a lot of money.
1: Speaking to Mike Agarbo, host of Get Connected. Mike, here you're in, you're in China to, today. I understand you're covering uh, some events involving Huawei over there.
5: Yeah, it's been very interesting. Uh, and we actually got to tour, uh, you know, their cybersecurity labs, uh, their campuses, and uh, you know, talked to a lot of the employees uh, just to get a sense of, uh, you know, the overall security. You know, the Americans are basically saying uh, they want to limit uh, Huawei equipment and even devices because of security issues. Uh, it's it's. Fake news, really. When you look at it, uh, I think it really comes down to the the politics uh, of it. And uh, Huawei now is uh, going through the courts in the U.S. to basically uh, you know, have the uh, the government uh, limited as to what they could do in uh, attacking them.
1: That's very interesting, Mike. Were you, what were you picking up from uh, Chinese officials over there? They seem frustrated or angry at the Americans over this.
5: Uh, Yeah, the Huawei officials can't understand, you know, why they're specifically targeting uh, Huawei themselves, like a private company. Uh, You know, and it can... Kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, I think it's uh, you know more uh, of a sense that uh, the U.S. government's uh, you know concerned about uh, uh, how far uh, Huawei and some of these other Chinese companies are as far as technology is concerned. And you know I've been in the technology game for years. There is no question that uh, Huawei is ahead uh, of uh, you know U.S. companies in many many uh, areas. Uh, so I, I think the um, you know the American government is concerned at uh, uh, you know how far ahead they are compared to u.s companies but the security mike, story it's uh, it's a, it's it's fake to me
1: mike thanks for coming on thank you i appreciate it. it's mike agarbo he's the host of get connected and the app show Simi, let's talk a little bc politics now with my guest McLean k he's the editor-in-chief of the orca bc website hey McLean. hey mike thanks, thanks for having me on thank you for coming in first of all let's talk about a new opinion poll Uh, out today on bc politics this one from research co it's mario canseco's outfit and he was on the show earlier today some good news here for premier john horgan with the uh, the ndp at 39 percent in this poll basically the same as the election from two years ago the liberals 30 percent so they are down 10 points from the election green party up 21 points the bc conservative party yes there is one Nine percent. What are your thoughts on these numbers?
0: Well the one that jumps out is the BC conservative number. Um, I mean they have I don't think they've pulled nine percent provincially in this province since what, twenty eleven? So I'm I'm I have to think there's at least some confusion of people thinking they're talking about uh, Andrew Shears, Federal Conservative Party. Um I I mean I I would struggle to think of who the leader of the provincial conservative is. I was
1: just about to ask you, do you know who the leader of the I, Conservative I don't, Party I'm, Okay. <laughs> I had to check it too. Uh, his name is trevor Bolin he is a city councillor from fort st john you could have made he that is name the <laughs> he, is, he is the leader of the bc conservative party i don't know maybe he's maybe he'd be great who knows and apparently he commands the support of nine percent of british columbia apparently he does should the liberals be worried about that i mean like nine percent sounds like well who cares well guess what i mean maybe it goes up from there who knows
0: i, I mean it's possible we're there we're 2 years out from a provincial election it's yeah. uh, the the poll number for the bc liberals uh, i think it was 30% it's it's right. not great news for them but it's not panic time either um british columbians don't tend to pay too close attention to whoever is the leader of the opposition until much closer to an election nobody knew much about john horgan before the last election and that was a a problem of perception of who are you that he was fighting back then uh and well uh, i'm sure uh, andrew wilkinson and his team wish that they were higher in this poll um i, I don't think they're panicking
1: well, speaking of Wilkinson, let's talk about him, because one of the things that Mario Canseco brought up this morning as we talked about this is, what does this say about the appeal of this leader, Andrew Wilkinson, who took over the job last year? Your thoughts on him as a leader?
0: I think he's still growing into the job. I mean, yeah. we you kind of have to remember that he wasn't the leader going into the last election, and then they had a, uh, a leadership campaign after that. So, I mean... He's been only the leader of the opposition for half the time that John Horgan has been premier. And so as he has been sort of uh, growing into the job uh, a little slowly, um, he has uh, he's going to have he has some work ahead of him in terms of introducing him to himself to British Columbians and some of his ideas were he to form the next government.
1: Has, hasn't he made a few gaffes though? I mean the wacky renters mm-hmm. comment that he had to walk back. Some people criticize him for giving a speech at a yacht club That's right. about real estate affordability in, in uh, on the North Shore. Hasn't he made some fundamental unforced errors
0: yeah he has made some unforced errors i guess the question remains whether they are will amount to stubbing your toe or or own goals
1: okay he's going to be my guest by the way at the bottom of the show at the bottom of this hour by the way so stick around for that um the liberal the uh the ndp at 39 percent, though i mean this has got to be good news for horgan two years into a mandate uh appears to I, i i'm not sure you can call it a honeymoon but certainly they're in good shape
0: yeah anytime a government can, a governing party can sort of maintain its support is is generally good what news What do you think
1: what's he doing right
0: uh, Horgan has communicated well, um, yeah. I think, in general. He's very personable. I think they have done a, a great job getting ahead and owning the money laundering issue. And, um,
1: yeah. and I mean, you can... That thing's been like a wrecking ball for them, yeah. like just damaging the liberals.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, that's all been very calculated to do just that. And uh, they uh, there will be chances for him to stub his toe as well in the next two years. But uh, as, as of right now, I imagine they're quite happy.
1: Don't you think he's kind of lucky, though, too, that he inherited a balanced budget and a strong economy? I had a caller earlier on the show challenge me about whether the balance the budget is truly balanced or not which you can argue about but the fact is the Liberals balanced a bunch of budgets in a row and the NDP inherited that the economy is good that's great.
0: yeah I mean lucky. he didn't just inherit a balanced budget he inherited the surplus. largest surplus yeah. the province has ever had yeah I mean that is tremendously lucky and I think even he would would agree with that.
1: OK, with the cell phone plan announcement, McLean, that was from the B.C. government earlier today, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth is saying they're going to do an online survey. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> an online survey about your cell phone bill. What is this? this is federal jurisdiction what can the what can the province do about cell phone bills
0: well absolutely nothing I mean, they can ask Ottawa to do something and that's about all they can do um, this was a campaign promise they made in the uh, in the name of affordability and and yes I'm sure that most British Columbians do think their cell phone bill is too high nobody, right nobody thinks their cell phone bill is just right or or actually I should pay more um, so I, I think this is kind of a yes great if you want to fill out your survey and 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 agree with us that you're paying too much. That's um, a nice it's a nice stunt. But I mean, ultimately, this is this is not provincial jurisdiction.
1: He, he said, though, that consumer protection is provincial jurisdiction and maybe they've got some powers there. They can force greater transparency on your bill or contract language.
0: I, and I I hope so, and um, oh. that would be nice for them to explore. But as of I I don't see that uh, cell phone providers provide, offer different contracts in different provinces. Maybe they do, um, but uh, I, as far as I can tell, this is mostly just sort of a, a way of checking off a list of election. Products.
1: Is this kind of I see a sort of see a pattern on this kind of stuff? Because now you've got this review of cell phones going on. He had the earlier announced review on gas prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've announced a crackdown on ticket scalpers. So a lot of this kind of Bread and butter sort of, you know, bills that people hate to pay. Everyone yeah. hates to pay their cell phone bill or when they're gassing up their car or they got to pay some inflated price to go to a concert they want to go to. I mean, they're very clever in hitting on a lot of these things and saying we want to do something about it. But at the end of the day, do they have power to do anything about it.
0: Well, they do, and some of them, I think. Uh, some of the things that are provincial jurisdiction, you mentioned gas prices. I mean, what this, could they do there? Well, I mean, I'm not suggesting they actually do this, but the single biggest contributor is, is provincial taxes. So, oh. I mean, if they if there was a crisis, they, they could theoretically reduce gas prices in the lower mainland. Um, when it comes to cell phone bills, I mean, we're – it's um, I guess it's up for discussion, but as far as I can tell, this is a matter of a federal jurisdiction, and the provincial government can advocate for British Columbians and good for them for doing so, but in terms of actually making changes, I I don't see what they would do.
1: Let's switch gears here and do a little federal politics real quickly, then we'll take a break and take some phone calls here, McLean. And I want to ask you about Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former Liberal MP, of course the former Attorney General, announcing this week she will seek re-election as an independent There is some thought that she might switch over to the federal Green Party, but that didn't happen. That was,
0: I mean, some thought that was heavily rumored. And it turns out that she was being wooed. Um, And uh, Elizabeth May said that she offered uh, Wilson Raybould and Jane Philpott, both, um, the leadership of the party. Um, I guess after the election, uh, should they jump ship? And they both said no. And so I I mean. I guess you can't lay it on any thicker than that. If you come over, well, you can be leader. Once you offer someone your throne, there really isn't much more to offer. So, I mean, it's the Greens are trying to uh, put a good face on this, but I mean, it it has to be embarrassing for them.
1: Yeah, because they were on a roll. I mean, they just won that Nanaimo by-election. They're doing (laughs) well in the polls. Elizabeth May is a pretty well-liked federal politician. And, you know, this could have been a glorious opportunity for them to double the size of the the, uh, Green Caucus on Parliament Hill and really capitalize on that momentum but it, it doesn't happen why do you think she's going as an independent instead Wilson Rable
0: well I think that um, most independent uh, candidates in this country have a really tough uphill climb but I, with yeah. Jody Wilson Rable in particular she might be one of the rare candidates whose personal brand uh, has more positives and fewer negatives than any of the major parties I mean it's worth pointing out that as well as uh, Elizabeth May does in uh, approval ratings The Green Party scored, I think it was less than 4% of the vote in the last federal election, and they did not do very well in either Vancouver, Granville, or Jane Philpott's uh, Toronto area riding. And so, I mean, what Mm. seems to be the pattern here is that Canadians say they like Elizabeth May, but they they don't vote for her.
1: Okay, so maybe Wilson-Raybould is calculating that it'd be easier for her to win as an independent? I think that's absolutely true. Okay. I also wonder for your thoughts on this. I, the first thing that occurred to me was this leaves her an option to go back to the Liberals later. I mean, like, I mean, if these wounds heal over, or maybe Trudeau loses badly in this election in the fall and he resigns. Does this offer her a path and for Philpot too to
0: return to the Liberals? I think absolutely. It'll yeah. be much easier for them to return home, if you like, if they were independents rather than if they had joined, you know, the NDP Greens or, or God forbid, the Conservatives, when it would have been unthinkable for them to come back. But uh, this, uh, it's easy to come back once you've been an independent. We've seen this happen in V.C. politics a number of times.
1: Yeah, you, you were ta- we were talking off air about that. Bill Bennett is mm-hmm. one that comes to mind, right? Remember he had that terrible uh, rupture with uh, Gordon Campbell? That's right, yeah. And was basically... He was an independent uh, MLA, but he came back under Christy Clark to That's the right. Liberals.
0: And uh, Blair Lexstrom as well, uh, yeah. left uh, over the HST, I think. Uh, yeah. um, both uh, he and Bennett left under Gordon Campbell, came back under Christy Clark. Um, what One BC Liberal MLA who left and joined another party, John Van Dongen, never came back. Never came back, okay. Where can people find your stuff online? At the OrcaBC.ca.
1: Thanks for coming in. Thank you. That's McLean Kay. He's the editor-in-chief of of the orca bc website as promised my guest is andrew wilkinson leader of the bc liberal party he's the leader of the opposition in the provincial legislature thanks for coming in
6: absolutely good to be here
1: close there to that um let's talk first of all i wanted to ask you about icbc interesting story from rob shaw in the vancouver sun this week saying that the government has backed down on an unpopular idea for a fifty dollar surcharge on driver's If they have someone they know who's an occasional driver, let's say your neighbor occasionally drives your your car for some reason, or maybe like someone's a designated driver, you're out for the evening or something. The government wanted to charge you 50 bucks to do that, right? If you have occasional drivers, they've backed off of that, but it still will apply to young drivers. (laughs) Let's say your kids occasionally drive your car. Well, they're riskier drivers. You're still facing a whack on that. What are your thoughts on the way this has been handled?
6: Well, one of my kids came back for about two weeks, uh, a week ago. Um, He's at school outside BC. And you think, okay, well, of course he's going to drive. And we're all used to that. So the idea that you got to come up with 50 bucks and pay his premium, if he were driving more than twice, which is what he's done, that would kind of rub you the wrong way. And like you say, if your neighbor needs to go and pick up your kid or your mother-in-law comes over and wants to go to the grocery store, it's going to go way up people's nose. they got to pay 50 bucks and they got to find a broker and get a printed out record and blah, blah, blah. So what that means is you're basically crimping people's lifestyles dramatically.
1: Yeah, and it also sounded like the way they were setting it up was it would be potentially a lot more than $50. So there'd be a $50 fee, but they would also calculate your insurance premium by taking... You'd have to supply a list of who these people are that might be occasionally driving your car, and they would take the highest risk person on that list and use that to calculate part of your insurance premium. So, you know, I mean, the government is saying ICBC is a mess. It's it's the dumpster fire, as EB calls it. They blamed you guys for starting it and they've got to do something to fix up the mess that you guys left. I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts about the way they're handling
6: this? Well, let's talk about the $50 fee for a minute again. Okay. Wait a second. You say, okay, somebody shows up. They need to drive you to the airport. And, you know, God forbid they need to drive you to the hospital because you're having a heart attack and it's the way it works. So you think, oh, I can't do that. I guess I'll miss my plane or just wait for the ambulance or whatever. My kid's got a fever. I won't drive them to the doctor because, you know, my mom couldn't drive them because she was babysitting and isn't covered on my license. So, they have figured out that ICBC is supposed to serve the customer, not the government. And this is the problem with the ICBC structure. It has become a servant of government rather than the driver. Are and you- we have said it's time to have choice. Put all yeah. the options on the table and let the customers of British Columbia, the drivers, figure out what they want. Give them some respect. Let them make a choice.
1: Okay, I want to ask you about that choice in a minute. But do you do you think that there are more hits coming for drivers on ICBC later this year, because the government said they're going to be rolling out their new uh, in, in a premium policy where they will identify bad drivers and charge them more. If you're a good driver, conceivably, you might pay less. Yeah. We, which um, I guess is great if you're a good driver, but...
6: There's thoughts? the basic compulsory coverage, which everybody is forced to buy from ICBC. You tell me why we're forced to buy it from them. But that's another conversation. So the basic coverage went up by, I think it was 6% or something, the last uh, rate increase. And they said, different rates are coming soon for good and bad drivers. None of us know what that means. I've been bumped into once in the last two years... It was the other person's fault. I C B C said it's fifty fifty. You just can't be bothered to fight. So am I a bad driver or a good driver? It was a trivial repair. I'm gonna find out the hard way from I C B C. Well so you're saying thing, you
1: might be characterized as a bad driver
6: yeah, by ICBC? Could well be. If you've had any kind of at fault accident, are you gonna see a crank in your premiums? Well you had a
1: you had an at fault accident?
6: Well, I had one where I got bumped in a parking lot. I contested it with ICBC. They said, Well, there are no witnesses, so it's fifty fifty. Most oh. of us have heard these stories. It's a couple hundred bucks of repair. Stupid little thing with the car bumper. You just deal but with it. But you that. could
1: end up getting a higher p- premium in the fall. I could pay an
6: awful lot more than the 200 bucks right. in yeah. the fall when they crank up the, the basic charges. But let's not forget, yeah. the basic charge is actually a small part of your premium. The optional coverage, the vast majority of people buy it from ICBC. I went to Canada Direct once about 15 years ago and couldn't be bothered and went back to ICBC. It wasn't that much of a difference. Right. And I thought, I'll just stick with ICBC. Those rates are going to be set, I believe, September 1st. Right, Look out. And we all know that ICBC is expensive enough as it is. We've had two um, insurance uh, forms come to us, invoices that went from about 1700 bucks in January, February to $7,000 for a no injuries accident that the driver had had. And if we're going to be seeing a lot of $7,000 premium forms coming out from David Eby, people are going to be livid.
1: Okay, speaking to Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, let's talk about that choice you mentioned. So... I've listened to you carefully every time you talk about this issue on ICBC, and I'm trying to figure out what a liberal government would do should you become premier. Are are you saying that you would allow private private sector competition for basic auto insurance? You're nodding. Let's start with
6: a very simple example, taxis. Why can't taxis go to the private market and see if they can get a better deal? There are about 3,500 of them in the province. They pay huge premiums. Why aren't they allowed to access the private market? You tell me. I don't know the answer. There's no good answer from David Eby. Secondly, for the public, that's more complicated because all kinds of different drivers. Let's find the whole shooting match in terms of options for drivers. Put it on the table. So if you're a you're a 48 year old guy, right? Live in Victoria. You're a good driving record. A couple of other people drive your car. What would the premium be for you under the current system, ICBC? What would the premium be for you under the privates in a regulated insurance market? And put it on the table. What would your no-fault premium be under either a Saskatchewan model, a Manitoba model, even a Quebec model? Why can't we ask that question? So are Why are, you, are people you gonna allowed ask, to
1: know? Are you going to ask the question, or are you actually going to lay out for the people what you would do if you had the opportunity to do something.
6: My view of this is start serving the people of British Columbia, put together whatever it takes, a commission, a special investigation, whatever it is, put the options on the table and let British Columbians look it over and come to their own conclusions. And if there's a big groundswell saying, yeah, we want to do one of these options, why wouldn't we do that? It's to serve the people of British Columbia, not to serve the government. So you, don't rule, you don't rule out private sector auto insurance. Absolutely not. And let's start with the taxi sector. Like I said, why can't taxis look into different models of insurance?
1: Let me ask about this opinion poll that came out uh, earlier today that we've been talking about on the show. This is the Research Co. poll. This is Mario Canseco, a very well-known pollster here in B.C. Shows the NDP, 39%, pretty much the same as the election. The Liberals, 30%, 9 points back and probably 10 points down since the election. I know polls have been wrong, but these are not good numbers for... For you and the well, Liberal Party, your
6: thoughts? Well, let's remember, we're wandering into a federal election. Yeah. People doing these polls always are a little bit loose about which election they're talking about. We know that the uh, polls in the Nanaimo by-election at one point said we are 12 points ahead, which proved to be dead wrong. So these things come and go like the wind. I don't invest in a whole lot of time in it. Our job is to hold the NDP accountable, to point out they have totally botched this mountain caribou file in the interior, to point out they've Botching the ICBC file. They've done nothing about gasoline prices. Absolutely nothing. Except say that John Horgan's going to have well, a he commission. Just he just announced an inquiry on yeah, it. Yeah, they're going to report on August 30th. They're not allowed to talk about supply through pipelines. They're not right. allowed to talk about taxes. So, what are they going to talk about? And they'll tell you on September but why 1st. You,
1: but why are you nine points back in this poll two years into a government mandate when a lot of governments start to become unpopular after a couple of years?
6: Well, as we just said, polls are polls. They come and go like the wind this may be people confusing with a federal situation you tell me i don't get too bothered about polls because our job is to get out there and hold the ndp to account and that's what we do every day this
1: this poll showed the green party at 21 which is pretty good and maybe surprising to some the bc conservative party yes there is one yes they do have a new leader nine percent which i guess is single digits people might say well so what But still, 9% is, I guess, not insignificant. Do you have any thoughts on the, the, you're worried
6: about a conservative party in B.C.? This always comes up in conversation, and for the next six months, that's what we're going to hear a lot about, because there'll be a federal election where the conservatives appear to be doing fairly well. So we'll hear lots of this. I was in Fort St. John last Tuesday, Dawson Creek last Wednesday. The new leader is from Fort St. John. I probably talked to 200 people up there, and not a soul said anything other than, ah, don't worry about him. What is your number
1: one priority here? This is the final week of this uh, legislative assembly, and then we get a, a summer break, but I know you guys keep <clears throat> working. Uh, given the situation with the the government and the standing in these polls, what do you got to do as leader of this party to to bring the Liberals up and to make you guys look like you're ready to govern again?
6: We're focusing very much on the real cost of living. The NDP said themselves back in March. People are working two and three jobs and can't get by. In the interior, that means I'm worried about having a job at all in three years because of the state of the forest industry. The NDP are screwing that up. And on the lower mainland, it's I can't afford to pay my bills. You know on all of our radio stations there are lots of ads for these second mortgage lenders, insolvency advisors. That means people are really, really stretched financially. And what the- would you
1: do? What would you do exactly though? You mentioned gas prices earlier, you said the government's not doing anything about it. What would you do about gas prices? You
6: can't tax your way to prosperity. You can't tax your way to lower gas prices. This is a government the NDP are totally committed to so taxing cut, their way to you'd everything. Cut, you'd cut gas taxes. We've said that if the ta- the price of gas spikes it's time to cap off the motor fuel tax. People can't handle these bursts in gas prices. And we've also got to talk about making amends with Alberta so we can get a reliable fuel supply because we've got one real source, that's Alberta. You don't go and kick your monopoly supplier in the shins and expect to be nice to you.
1: Okay, so just so I'm clear what what you're saying you would do, you're saying if the price of gas spikes, you would cap the provincial motor fuel tax. We've had a gas price spike, do you agree? Yep. So therefore you would put a cap on the... BC motor fuel tax.
6: You'd have to is pick the right price to start capping it, but the answer is yes. So you're not going to cut taxes. You're just going to cap it. Well, it doesn't when, rise any further. When the price surges up. What is that going to do? I'm still paying the same. No, no. You, come on, Mike. If you cap off the motor fuel tax, then you say, okay, we're going to pick a gas price. Pick $1.75 and say, if it goes above that, we will reduce the price of the motor fuel tax to correspond to the increase in price temporarily. When the price goes down again, as they always do, then the motor fuel tax go back on.
1: Thanks for coming in today. Good to see you, Mike. I appreciate it. That is Andrew Wilkinson. He's the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party.